So in Acts chapter 1, uh, let's see, let's look at verse 8. Before we go to Acts 1, I am so sorry, go to Acts 18. I had this in reverse order. Acts 18. And I have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 titles for my message tonight. <laughs> That's a record or something, man. Um, I'll go through those titles in just a minute. But in Acts chapter 18, I want you to notice verse 9 through 11. Then spoke the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision. And this is what the Lord said. Don't be afraid, but speak. Are we ever going to be tempted to be afraid to say things to others about the Lord? To say things to others about our convictions and about our faith? Are we ever going to be tempted to back off from witnessing? Is fear ever going to try to get us to not say that one thing we know we're supposed to say to that person, even that one we don't know that well? Is fear going to be something we have to be aware of if we're going to do the will of God? We're going to have to be aware of it, and we're going to have to rebuke it, and we're going to have to say no to it. Now, Paul had had some persecution. I mean, they tried to kill him many times and successfully did a couple times, but he rose from the dead. He came back to life. And so the Lord knew what was going on in Paul's heart. He, he's talking about going back to Corinth and preaching and, and doing a, a work there. And the Lord told him in a vision, Paul, don't be afraid, but speak. Man, if there's ever a day we've got to overcome fear in this area, it's today. There's pressure out there to get us not to say certain things that we believe. Hmm? I mean, you just open up the Bible to Romans chapter 2 and start reading the first 15 verses and stand up and declare, you know what? I believe that's true. There's some people who'd like to kill you for saying that. Slap you with a lawsuit. Call you uh, involved in a hate crime. Do you know that? We've heard. We know other minister friends that have been in, involved in some of these things and heard these things firsthand. There are some people, they, they do not want to hear that their works are evil. Right. They do not want to hear that what they're doing is wrong. And the interesting thing about it is, just, just because something's evil doesn't mean we condemn them. Right. Just because something's evil doesn't mean we don't love them. But see, in their mind, they think, no, if you don't love what I do, then you don't love me. Well, that's ridiculous. I love you, but if you're a liar, I, don't, I hate lying, but I love you. Right. right? I mean, you can hate lying and love the person who is lying. Mm -hmm. Can't you? Yeah. And this is the thing, and we talked about this too last week a little bit, I think on Sunday morning too, that this is the thing that Jesus said was the reason the world hated him. He's speaking to the Pharisees and said, the world doesn't hate you guys. The world thinks you're just fine, but the world hates me. And he said, John 7, 7, he said, the reason the world hates me, and this is the reason the world's going to hate us. Because we're going to, he said, because I testify that your works are evil. He said, that's why the world hated him. That the world's works were evil. Well, you know, we, did, we're not, we can't modify the scriptures, man. If God said it's wrong, it's wrong. Whether I've done it, whether you've done it, whether I'm doing it, whether you're doing it, if it's wrong, it's wrong. And the good news is you can be forgiven. You can be delivered. 
you can be completely set free from any vice or any addiction or any bondage, even if you think you were born that way. Amen. Nothing unfixable with the Lord. But we're living in a day and age right now. It is not popular. It is not politically correct to say certain things are wrong. And if they hated him, and they did, they're going to hate us. Don't want it, don't like it, wish it didn't happen. But, it, you know, Billy Graham said something a long time ago, and it's a really powerful statement. He said, everybody's all concerned about offending other people, but they're not even a slightest bit concerned about offending God. Right. We're all concerned about offending other people but have not, not even concerned at all about thinking, well, maybe the Lord's offended. And I, I tell you, you can totally love, be non-condemning towards someone who's steeped in sin and, and not compromise and say, you know, what you're doing is okay. If it's not okay, it's not okay, but you can still love those people. Right. And I say all that because sometimes in this area of being a witness for Jesus and, and bringing people to church, sometimes... You know, somebody might cuss you out sometime. I don't know. But if that does happen, we should rejoice like the Lord said and go, wow. So persecuted they the prophets. And great is your reward. In heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets. Anyway. So, don't be afraid. Speak, Paul, and hold not your peace. Next verse. Jesus said, For I am with you, and no man shall set on you to hurt you. For I have much people in this city. The Lord spoke that to us a few years ago, more than once. This city is a mission field. We went over all the statistics of some of the crazy things that the professionals are saying about our area, which I, I, I hate even repeating it. Concerning the suicide capital and all this other stuff in Grand Junction, the Grand Valley. Well, through our prayers, that percent is going down. That's right. It has to. The devil's not bigger than God and the devil's not bigger than a church filled with God. Change some of those statistics and percentages. But we found out that every city is a mission field. This was Corinth. This was not like some third world nation. This was a hot, very prosperous city. A lot of commerce. A lot of buying and selling and games and all this kind of stuff. But Jesus said, I have a lot of people in this city that I want you to reach. I want you to preach to them and I want you to reach them. I want you to help them with the gospel. And he told us that he has a lot of people in our city that he wants to help. And he'd like us to be the ones he could work through. So first thing we've got to overcome is fear. Well, what if they don't receive it? Who cares? That's not, your, that's not your responsibility. You need to help them. You need to love them. If they receive it, great. If they don't, don't worry about it. And the, and the re- answer is, after you're done with that person, and they totally... Re- you know, a lot of people that, that do persecute you for sharing the Lord with them or inviting them to church, a lot of those people up front may look very upset, but they're going to go home, and it's going to get dark. And they're going to fall asleep. And on their bed, I guarantee you, they're going to be thinking about what we said to them. Right. We're going to be thinking, and maybe a year or two later, they'll make a turn because of that seed. So I wouldn't look at anything as a failure. Right. Seeds planted sometimes don't show up till years later. Right. So don't think it was a failure and, and stay in faith. So I wanted to say that because Jesus has much people here 
And we can't let fear hinder us from reaching them. Please remember what it was like to be hopeless. Remember what it was like to have depression all over you and you didn't know how to get free other than natural medication. Sometimes you just got to, we got to stop and we got to remember, you know what? There's people all around that felt like I felt 20 years ago. There's people all around. Maybe people in here have been tempted to take your life. Well, you're maybe totally delivered tonight, hopefully. And, but there's other people out there, they're not delivered yet. And we need to realize... We are Jesus in the earth. Angels aren't going to do our job for us. And we can't think somebody next door is going to do our job for us. So let's do this now. Turn to Acts chapter 1. And in verse 8, here I'm going to show you something that applies to every human, every born-again person on this planet. Some things are for pastors only. Some things are for prophets only. Some things are for teachers only. This here is for everybody on this planet. And it's not just a Christian duty, it's a calling. And if you see it as a calling, you'll be more apt to, you know, be involved with it. Jesus said just before he floated up to heaven, he said, You shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And now what's the primary reason for the power of the Holy Spirit in our life? Primary. Thank God for the jumping and shouting meetings. Thank God for people falling under the power. Thank God you know, for the amazing uh, spirit nights that we have and believers meeting where we're all just celebrating. Thank God. But what's the primary reason for being filled with the Holy Spirit and having power from the Holy Spirit in your life? To be a witness unto Jesus both in Grand Junction, Mesa County, Colorado, the United States of America, and the uttermost parts of the earth. The Holy Spirit wants to help us witness. Are you listening? And I found this out too, that one way you can tell if you're living a Spirit-filled life, you want to do some of the things we're going to be talking about tonight. You know, the Lord wants us wanting to do what we're doing. Um, you say, well, Pastor, I don't know if I have any, anything to witness Well, let me ask you this. Were you there when you got saved? Were you there when you got saved? You got something to witness about. Were you there? Were you there when that prayer got answered that you prayed? Were you there? Well, if you were there, you're a witness to the Lord being good to you, answering a prayer. Were you there when depression finally left your life because you'd gotten in the Word and the Word cleaned your brain out and got you free from darkness? Were you there? Because if you were there... You're a witness. Were you there when your marriage got fixed? Were you there when you got delivered from that addiction? Were you there? Then you're a witness. And people don't have to be going through the exact same thing you're going through in order for you to be a witness to them. Deliverance is deliverance. Whether it's in this area or that area, mental or physical or marital or business. We need to be, you know, (laughs) we need to be overflowing Reminding ourselves where we came from. What the Lord has done for us. Big deal. We should be overflowing. Last week, I gave you a few uh, testimonies of some things that the Lord's helped Carl and I to do. And, you know, I mean, it's been a blessing. We, we, we love bringing people to church. And we love seeing people get saved. And we love seeing the people we bring make friends with other people in the church. 
It's wonderful. It absolutely thrills us to the core. Actually, there's a lot of neighbors of yours that we'd like to be friends with, you know? It'd be really cool if you could start bringing them. Um, because it's fun. We love it. And it's not supposed to be, you know, well, we have to do this because it's our Christian responsibility. And <laughs> Carla and I have had such a good time in the last oh, three quarters of a year, almost a year now, coming up in June, inviting our neighbors to church and bringing our neighbors to church when the time was right, you know. And uh, it's been fun. I mean, a dozen or more, I think, are coming faithfully and, and hooking up and serving and giving and just making friends. It's totally, I mean, I just want to dance. It's wonderful. And people say, well, Pastor, how, how, do, you do, how, how do you do that? How, how can you do that? And my question is, born-again believer, how can you not do that? Let's answer that question. How can you not do that? If it's far better to be with Christ and leave this earth realm, then why are you still here? Do you ever think about it? To depart and be with Christ is far better. If it's far better to be with Jesus, why are we still here? Why not just give up the ghost? Well, Paul had the same thing going on in his mind. Philippians chapter 1. Do you have that scripture, Candace? Philippians 1. Paul was like, man, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Um, you know, I'm kind of in a decision point right now in my life. I, I don't know. He said right here, for me to live is Christ. I love that. Don't you love that? He didn't say for me to live is all this other stuff. And then, you know, Jesus is kind of a, you know, orbiting around my life. No, Jesus is my life. And if I got time for other stuff, that orbits around me and Jesus. To die is gain. Next verse. But if I live in the flesh, if I, in other words, if I don't leave my body, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I what not. Next verse. He said, I'm in a straight betwixt two. I'm in a decision period. I, I'm deciding what to do. I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Next verse. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. One more verse. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith. So you see what Paul's saying here? He's saying the only reason I'm not out of here to a far better place is because I got some people to help. I got to help them go further in their faith or help them get saved and come into the faith. He said, I'm here because other people. Well, if we're here to influence other people for the Lord, I think we should probably do that. <laughs> Don't you? Now, I'm going to show you something here in just a minute. It's one of the heaviest scriptures, I think, in the New Testament. I mean, when I read it when I was a new believer, it was like, wow, what are you trying to say, Paul? Um, but before we go there, last week, in Philippians 4, verse 1, we went to a scripture that Paul said, Talking to the church at Philippi, he said, Therefore, my brethren, thank you, Candace, that was it. Dearly beloved and longed for my joy. My joy. Where's our joy? Where was Paul's joy? Really, where, where is this joy that everybody is looking for? This deep inner joy that the world can't give or take away. Where is it? It's not in you getting a bunch of things. It's in other people 
that we're helping come to the Lord. There's a soul winning joy you will get no other way. You'll get some other little things here and there, but there's a soul winning joy you will never get unless you're doing some of the things like Paul did here. He said, you're my joy, you're my crown, so stand fast. This is not the only time he said this. First Thessalonians talks about it, where Paul said, you're my joy, you're my crown. So if you really need joy, you've got to quit looking for it in you. It's in somebody else coming back to you. It's a huge deal. And a lot of people are just depressed, they're sad, they can't seem to shake this, can't seem to shake that. Maybe, maybe you're not, you shouldn't be alone so much. Maybe you need to get out there where the people are. Be an influence for the Lord and find some real joy. I mean, we're talking about the good stuff. <laughs> Amen, not the counterfeit stuff. All right, so do this now. Turn with me to Ezekiel 3. Ezekiel 3. All right, church, so now that we're in church tonight, you realize that we're not just here for us to be satisfied tonight. We're here for other people's sake to be equipped to help them when we meet them. And I'm not, you know, I'm not saying you have to become a full-blown evangelist, but you know, I have, we, Carl and I have, and I don't know if, if this just happens or if you have to believe for it to happen. I think you kind of have to believe for it to happen, but... We believe that when Billy Graham left the earth, last year, it was about a year ago, he left the earth. I don't believe his evangelistic anointing went with him because there's nobody in heaven that needs saved. I believe that mantle fell back to the earth. And anyone who wants to reach up for some evangelistic help and anointing, I believe it's there. And we've experienced it. But you're not going to know that anointing's there until you step out and do what that anointing is going to help you to do. It's like everybody's, you can't just wait for something to pick you up and a feeling to come and then do all these things. you got to start doing things by faith and then the power hits you. That's just how it works. And we've, we've taken hold of that. And like I said, we've seen some amazing results and I don't believe it's just for us either. So in um, Philippians, excuse me, Ezekiel 3, Um, I kind of watch it when I read these scriptures because a lot of people have preached these scriptures. I think some people have preached these scriptures with a wrong attitude, but they're in the Bible. And you sh- we shouldn't ever get condemned about anything in the scriptures, but at times we should be challenged and at least put up our antenna a little higher and see what the Spirit of God's telling us about these scriptures. So in Ezekiel 3, in verse 17 through 21. Son of man, I have made you a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me. Now, when we see the word warning, you know, we don't want to think that that's just, you better do this or else, or you better do that or else. There's such a thing as a loving warning, compassionate warning. Next verse. God said, when I say to the wicked, you shall surely die and you do not give him warning nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life. The same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at your hand. Now you can see how, you know, people maybe that, you know, 
I don't know, maybe they're thinking about other things other than love or compassion. They could use this scripture and really make somebody feel bad with it. Well, the Lord doesn't want us feeling bad. He just wants us seeing that there are times that he's going to lead us to speak to people. And the consequences of not doing it may be way greater than you feel at the moment. And this is what our beloved brother Andrew got a revelation of when he saw the Lord a few days ago. He felt the pain of the Lord. For all the times Andrew didn't share the words that the Lord prompted him to share. Little things, just little things. Gestures, a scripture, offering a prayer. Just look, looked like very little things. But the Lord was weeping because of where those little things, what those little things didn't do for those people that it was supposed to do for those people. Right. You know, little course corrections now. Did you know that a little tiny course correction in your life, 20 years down the road, could cause you to miss something terrible? Right. I mean, even in airplanes, you know, just a tiny little adjustment can mean the difference between going to Boston or uh, Virginia Beach. Just a, just a little, because after a period of time and, and miles, that little uh, thing is not little anymore. And the little things we say or don't say to people all around us, it's amazing the, the destiny effects that has in people's lives. And so this scripture here, I mean, that's pretty sobering, wouldn't you say? Next verse. Yet if you warn the wicked, or lovingly try to help, we could say, and he turn not from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he'll die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. In other words, you did what you were supposed to do. Next verse. Again, when a righteous man does turn from his righteousness and commit iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because you have not given him warning, he shall die in his sin, and his righteousness, which he has done, shall not be remembered, but his blood will I require at your hands. So this is just talking about a believer now that you could help, or a backslider, we could say. Next verse. Nevertheless, if you warn the righteous man, that righteous man sin not, he doth not sin, he shall surely live, because he's warned, and you also have delivered your soul. So, let, let me just say, it. we have a lot of people's cure for a terrible problem in their life. You know what I'm talking about? We, we have a cure. We have like the cure of all cures. What, 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 if we have that cure and we're not letting people know we have that cure, what is that, what is that all about? I mean, just say you had the cure for cancer and your neighbor was dying of cancer and you just didn't take any time to go over there and give them that pill or whatever. What would that be? That'd be like, what? I think we need to realize we have more than we realize. Right? <laughs> right? We need to realize we have more than we realize. We have the answer to many people's problems. And I realize sometimes you just can't go up to people and say, Jesus is your answer. But this is where friendship evangelism comes in. You got to take some time. Right. You got to get to know some people. You got to say, hey, let's do coffee. Let's have some lemonade. Let's hang out. And, and can I just give you a little piece of advice? When you start making more friends, and if you're not around any unbelievers, get around some unbelievers on purpose. Make yourself, you know, whatever. A tailor, uh, whoever, somebody who gives you coffee, get to know them. 
we, we need to, I know me, I work in the church all the time, but I've still got a lot of old friends in my city. And some of them I'm communicating with right now and they're wanting to come to the church. And, and sometimes you just need to, you know, remember that when you get in a conversation with somebody, they're going to ask you certain questions. Let me tell you one of the questions your neighbors and friends are going to ask you. So what do you do? Where do you work? Can I, can, I, can I equip you with a truthful, wonderful, powerful answer? You know, if you're a housewife, tell them you're a housewife. If, if you work you know, as an electrician, tell them you're an electrician. If you do this. But don't forget to tell them you serve in your church. That's a big deal. You know, that could open up a whole bunch of other questions. Oh, really? What church do you go to? I mean, that's a, you know, serving in your church is more important than the work you do for money. Right. Did you know that? David said, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of God than I'll be a CEO of Microsoft. That's my translation. <laughs> I mean, what a door opener. We've known this. We've seen it because we don't like to push things off on people and we don't like to manipulate. That's, that's just totally ungodly. And I think sometimes it's demonic. But we like to know, I personally value what I do in this church. And I did before I was a pastor, too. I looked at it as a huge deal, tremendous honor. And I would tell people everywhere I go, this would overflow. Tell them, you know what, I I do this, but I also serve in my church. Let them know it's important to you. A lot of people are looking for a church and a lot of people are looking for a change in their life. It's called loving your neighbor. Um, let me read you something out of Kenneth Hagin's book, and then we'll go to another scripture here. Here's something I want to make real clear. When we bring people to this church, we are bringing people to Jesus. Because the church is his body. I mean, let's face it, there's more of Jesus here when we're all together than you by yourself. I mean, now we've got the arm and the leg and the mouth and the shoulder and the knee. I mean, let's face it, we can minister more to people. The body of Christ can minister more to people when we're together than just by ourselves. Now, we do a lot by ourselves, but I'm telling you, when we get them to the church, now there's all kinds of people that can love on them and hug them and bless them and talk to them and make friends. It's wonderful. And I know people have gotten off balance in both areas, but when, you're, when, we're, when we're bringing people to the Lord's church, we're bringing people to the Lord in the earth. I mean, I guess you could bring them to a church where they're not really following God, and they just started a church because they're good businessmen or whatever, no, no real spiritual anointing or whatever. But when you bring them to a church that is called of the Lord, you're bringing them to Him. Huh? He said, the, you know, Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus, when Saul was going to get more orders to jail more Christians, Jesus appeared to him and said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? You see how much the Lord says he's, he is the church? No, no, Jesus, no, I'm not persecuting you. I'm persecuting those church people, those, those people that go to church. That's who, he said, no, you're not. You're persecuting me. The church is me. 
We need to believe in ourselves as much as Jesus believed in himself. Jesus stood up and said, I'm anointed to set you free. We need to rise up to have the same confidence as the body of Christ and say, you know what? When people come to this church, they are going to get help because we are the body of Christ. (laughs) Now, if you didn't know this, Wednesday nights a little more challenging because the mature people come on Wednesday night (laughs) and Sunday, right? So turn with me to Romans. Actually, we won't go there first. Let's go to... Uh, how much time do we have? Let's go to Revelation 22. Revelation chapter 22. And I'll read you this thing out of Kenneth Hagin's book here. Um, I wanted to read this on Sunday, actually, but I I'm, I'm, didn't have time. We kind of ran out of time on Sunday. But I wanted to read you. This is a book called I Believe in Visions by Kenneth Hagin. And he shares the visions he had of the Lord in here. And one of them was under a chapter that's entitled, Come Up Hither. And this is when he saw the Lord. And I don't want to get into all the background of it for time's sake, but he was kneeling on the platform in a service by the pulpit, praying in tongues. And he heard a voice say, Come up hither. And as I did, I realized it was the the voice of one speaking to me. I thought everybody heard it. He heard it again, Come up here. And the voice said again, Then I looked and saw Jesus standing about where the top of the tent would be. It was in a tent meeting. And I looked again, and the tent disappeared, and the folding chairs disappeared, and every tent pole in the the hall disappeared, the pulpit disappeared, and God permitted me to see into the spirit realm. Jesus was standing there, and I stood in his presence. He was holding a crown in his hands. The crown was extraordinarily beautiful that human language cannot begin to describe it. Jesus told me, quote, This is the soul winner's crown. My people are so careless and indifferent. The crown is for every one of my children. I speak and say, go to this one and pray for that one. Say this, do this. But my people are so busy, they put it off and souls are lost because they'll not obey me. When Jesus said that, I wept before him. I knelt down and repented of all my failures. Then Jesus said to me again, come up here. It seemed as if I went with Jesus through the air until we came to a beautiful city. We did not actually go into the city, but we beheld it at a distant range, as one might go up to a mountain and look down on a city in a valley. Its beauty was beyond words. Jesus said that the people selfishly say, They are ready for heaven. They talk about their mansions in the glories of heaven, while many around them live in darkness and hopelessness. Jesus said I should share my hope with them and invite them to come to heaven with me. Then he turned to me and said, now let's go down to hell. He gave him a little tour of hell right after that. And I wanted to read that because, you know, that's that's real similar to what our brother Andrew experienced just a few days ago when he felt the Lord's pain and the tears coming down his face when he hugged him. and He said, the Lord wasn't disciplining me. He wasn't going to scold me, but I felt his pain about all the times I didn't yield to him in doing what men would call seemingly little things for the people that were all around him. But now Andrew's on fire. (laughs) And we're we're looking forward to hearing from him soon so he can tell you in, in person. So did I give you a scripture? Revelation 22. Anybody having fun besides me? 
In Revelation 22:17, the Bible says the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, and the bride say, Come. Let him that hears say, Come. Let him that's a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. So what, what's on the Holy Spirit's heart? Getting people to come to the Lord. What do you think will be on our heart if we're filled with the Spirit? Hmm? You can tell you're Spirit-filled when you want to bring people to the Lord's church. I mean, hey, I, I don't always feel like doing that, all right? Um, there's some things that are going to be a little bit of a sacrifice, but when you're Spirit-filled, there's a greater flow. And this, we talk a lot about ways you can tell if you're living a spirit-filled life. And one of the ways you can tell you're living a spirit-filled life is that you always want to talk about the things of God as much as you can. You can tell if you're filled with sports. How? That's what you talk about. Well, see, you're filled and they spoke. They got filled and they spoke. Right? If speaking has a lot to do with revealing what you're filled with at the moment. Mm-hmm. Latest movies. Sports. Angels. The powers of the world to come. Heaven. Jesus, the word of the Lord, revelation, gifts of the Spirit. And I don't know, you know, you all do realize that being filled with the Holy Spirit last year doesn't mean you're living a Spirit-filled life today. You all know that, right? Ephesians 5.18 says, be filled with the Spirit, talking to people who were once filled with the Spirit. But he told them, be filled with... Actually, it's a play on words in the Greek. If you read it, it's be being filled. It's a constant, ongoing lifestyle of continuously being filled with the Spirit. Um, You know, there's a lot of people in jail today and in prison, believers, because they weren't Spirit-filled the day of the crime. Right. Being filled with the Spirit is not only awesome, it's safe. Right? I mean, let's face it. If you're filled with the Spirit, that means no vacancies. Right. For anything else trying to mess with you, right? Many believers have problems in their life because they have room for them. You've been coming to this church a long time. (laughs) And you're getting it. Think about it. Many believers have problems in their life. Why? Because they have room for them. A lot of people aren't bad. They're just empty. And they're not sure what to do when these things come against them and try to fill their thoughts. And What you really got to watch out is about being full and satisfied on stuff other than the Holy Spirit. Now that's where woe unto ye that are full comes in. Full of other things so there's no room for the Holy Spirit. But when we're filled with the Spirit, we're going to be in the come. Come to church. Come where? Come to Jesus. I'm not Jesus. You're not Jesus. But we as Jesus. He's the head. We're the body. He's the one that said it. And I tell you, it's time we believe as much as what the Bible says about the body of Christ as Jesus believed what the Bible said about him. Because whether you realize or not, he had to find out who he was the same way we got to find out who we is. He found the place where it was written about himself and he believed it and the power of God followed that. 
We need to believe what the Bible says about us, just like Jesus believed what the Scripture said about him. He was confident. He said, hey, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I'm anointed to preach the gospel to the poor, heal broken hearts, set at liberty them that are bruised, preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, set it, right? Preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And then he had the boldness to say, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And we have reason to think he preached that scripture a lot when he was on the earth. Before his meetings, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Man, what if we said that when we came to church? The spirit of the Lord is upon me. The spirit of the Lord is upon Faith Heights Church. He's anointed us. To set at liberty them that are bruised. People that have been beat up in life. We got the answer. We got the healing. Well, I sure hope something happens. That's not what the Lord said about himself. And that's not what we should say about ourselves. I say we talk about us like Jesus talks about us. The works he did shall we do also. And greater works than these because our Lord said so and he went to the Father. I think we need to talk about the church the way he talks about the church. You got a problem in your life? You got something binding you? Well, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Amen. Bring them here Amen. and they'll be delivered. Yeah. Oh, you're arrogant. It's confidence. Right. Big difference. Yeah. We're just saying what the Lord said about us. Right. Say, Pastor, you think they'll be free? No, I know they will. If they want help, we can help them. Right. Yeah. If they don't want help, that's another story. But if they want help, we can help them. And we need to have the faith that Jesus had in himself. We need to have the same faith in being a part of his body. And by his blood, we can have that confidence. Um, so let me just share a few things with you in closing. Go to, um, for time's sake, just go to uh, Romans 9. Romans chapter 9. We like to end at 8.15, so I've got five minutes, but... Can I just share something with you guys? It's time to reach our valley for the Lord. I mean, it's, it's totally time. I, I'm seeing more and more and more that church growth is not about some spectacular sovereign move of God. It's about growing on purpose. It's about saying, you know what? I'm going to go back to the way I was when I first got saved. Question, church. Why were we so excited to bring people to church when we first got saved and now we're not? If you're not. Why? It's a good question and you really need to answer it. Why would we be so excited at first and not anymore? I mean, back then, nobody even had to tell me. Nobody even had to preach on it. Right? This is something you want to do. You say, Pastor, how can you do it? How can you not do it? How can you not do it? Yeah. See, well, I just don't have time. Big problem. Mm-hmm. I actually am partially done with one of the books I've been writing called Making Room for the Things of God. It ain't going to fit in your already overbooked schedule. You're going to have to make room for the things of God. And one of the things of God is get around unbelievers or people that aren't, are, are, who are unchurched and be an influence for them, make friends with them, and bring them to Jesus. Amen. Got to do it. Nobody else is going to do it. So in Romans 9, this scripture has always kind of intrigued me. And here, here's another book we're going to revise. This one I wrote a few years ago. It's called One, One Neighbor Each, or Operation Neighborhood Evangelism. 
It's a practical guide to making friends forever. And it's about soul winning. It is how to win your neighborhood to the Lord through friendship evangelism. And really all it is is an assistance in what's already happening in your life, but putting an oomph in the friendships you're already making and some wisdom and some revelation on how to actually see it through to the end. Remember last week I said that everybody should be mentoring someone? Everybody should be, what do you mean? Everybody should be holding on to somebody. Right. You know, bringing them to the church, helping them meet new friends. When it's time, help them get involved in the helps team. Why? Because you love them. And you care about them. And you want them hearing well done at the end of their life. But in, in Romans 9, look at this. We'll close with this. And go ahead and go to the first three scriptures, Candace. Yeah, New Living Translation. Let's read it out of that one first. So the New Living Translation, Paul said, With Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief. Boy, what happened, Paul? For my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters, I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ if that would save them. That's what I did. I said, wow, too. And then the Lord said, why are you saying wow? I said, how could this not be us? I mean, do you realize what's happened to us and what could happen to others? I mean, this is amazing here. This is like reality. He said, I am not lying, man. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Ghost. I wish if me being cut off from Christ would help my Jewish brothers and sisters get saved, I'd say do it. It's almost like Jesus is getting all over Paul. It's like, because that's what Jesus did. He was cut off from the Father for us. But now Paul being cut off from Christ wouldn't help them, but he said, I can feel that. I know what you mean, Jesus. If that would save them. Go to the Passion Translation now, please, Candace. Oh, Israel, my Jewish family, I feel such great sorrow and heartache for you that never leaves me. God knows these deep feelings within me as long as I long for you to come to the faith of the Anointed One. My conscience will not let, will not let me speak anything but the truth. For my grief is so intense that I wish that I would be a curse cut off from the Messiah if it would mean that you, my people, would come to faith in him. You know, the Lord knows our heart. We definitely do not want to do any of this with a motive of, well, I guess I have to, or golly, you know, something bad might happen if I don't. No, that's not the Lord. Um, well, you know what, if I, you know, if I do this, you know, maybe people think I'm spiritual. Listen, nothing wrong with being seen, but there's something radically wrong with for doing it to be seen. So we definitely don't want to have that motive. Jesus taught us that in Matthew six. If you're doing stuff to be seen of men, to look spiritual, that's all the reward you get right there. People see it and people know it. Wow. It's not, it's not wrong to be seen doing these things, but it's wrong to do these things to be seen. The Lord sees the heart. That's all the Lord sees. He constantly sees our hearts. You could do the right thing with a wrong heart, and the Lord knows it. Right. You could not be perfect, but have a right heart, and the Lord knows that. Right. Interesting. 
But I wanted to show you those scriptures in closing because I really feel like this is what needs to get in us. We need to get some of this to say, Lord, help us to feel like Paul felt. Because I know it's not supposed to be mechanical. I know it's not supposed to just be for numbers. God knows that's not my heart. But we need to have something in our heart click because he wants his church full. And he wants the white chairs out. You know, the the chairs the devil hates. Easter Sunday, we're going to have to put them out, right, church? We're going to have to put out the white chairs. The devil hates the white chairs and gives him a headache to even think about the fact that we'd have to bring out the white chairs. But we're going to have to bring out the white chairs. Let's stand up.